0: Welcome to Books, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson.
1: And I'm Livia Uh Just a few short weeks ago, we reviewed Dan O'Shea's Penance, which, if memory serves correctly, we both enjoyed quite a bit. Is that right? It is. See, once I'm done with an episode, I just completely put it out of my mind. You know, there's times where you're like, do you remember that episode when? And I just say, yeah, but I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I, uh, my, my, my short-term memory's fine. Anything longer than a week, no recollection.
0: Like what was our first episode?
1: All right, three seconds. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Did I throw that out there fast enough?
0: That was good enough. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. Um, episode two, no clue whatsoever.
0: <laughs> um, Mozart conspiracy, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, right. we'll see next episode if we can remember what number three was. <laughs> Give me time to study.
1: Any anyway, rate, uh, Mr. O'Shea was kind enough to join us um, for an interview and talk a little bit about uh, *Penance*, his, uh, his fairly new release. Um, Here's a little bit about the author, in case you didn't catch that episode. Dan O'Shea is a Chicago-area writer. His first two thrillers, Penance and Mammon, will be published by Exhibit A, drawing on Chicago's settings and history. The novels explore the city's history of corruption, but with a national, even international flavor. He is also the author of Old School, a collection of short fiction published by Stone Nose Press.
0: Hey, Dan, thanks so much for coming on to uh, talk to us for a little bit at Booked here.
2: Uh, Just, I'm tickled pink to be here. If you could see me, you'd know that I am (laughs) truly pink.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or tickled. It's not that kind of podcast. (laughs) If you'd like to begin, um, so we told listeners all about penance over the course of, you know, like 40 minutes a couple of weeks ago. Would you like to give people a short version of, of, you know, kind of your own take on penance?
2: All right. Penance is my uh, debut novel. It is a uh, multi-generational story of... um, the sins of the fathers being visited on the sons set against the backdrop of Chicago's corrupt political culture. I got about a dozen. And then, you know, bad shit happens. People get shot. Folks die.
0: That's, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's... See, I don't, I don't know why we got so verbose on, on our review. We we talked about it for a long time, but that's pretty much that nails it. So in the book, Chicago's... it's Well, it's based in Chicago, and there's a lot of political history that plays you know a really big part of it um how what's the how does it lay out as far as like what was inspired by truth and what was just kind of made up on your own or is it all fact
2: (laughs) it's sort of a weird situation because i mean i live in chicago now and i've lived in the chicago area all my life but i grew up in aurora which is you know 50 miles west um But my my father was from Chicago, his grandfather was a cop in Chicago. Um, But when I was a kid, uh, a lot of things went on that made a distinct impression. Um, I I distinctly remember the riots after uh, the King assassination in 1968, because uh, you turn on the news, and um, I I watched my grandparents' neighborhood burn down on live television. and that was, you know, for a kid who'd had a fairly sheltered upper middle class life to that point where things seemed pretty safe, the idea that, you know, 50 miles away of a place that I'd been to several times, that the whole place was just being torched, um, really, you know, sort of for the first time introduced me to the idea that, um, there's a line from uh, one of Stephen King's novels that the world has teeth and it can bite you with them anytime it wants. Um, so there was that. I remember the uh, the head of the Black Panthers being killed by the Chicago Police, you know, Fred Hampton, uh, in '71, and I remember the way that was positioned in the media at the time. You know, as if he were this you know, horrible, dangerous radical that uh, you know, and white people everywhere should sleep better because the the police had shot him. Um, and then years later, high school, college, and you know, sort of finding out the truth behind that—that that the the Black Panthers weren't this you know armed revolutionary group that was looking to kill white people. That they were, uh, you know, while they might have been in white people's faces a little bit, um, you know, given the civil rights history of the country at the time why wouldn't they be um they'd actually you know we're doing a lot of good for their community and that you know essentially the hampton shooting was a political assassination conducted by the chicago police um, you know so, so things like that really they they figure heavily in the book and they figured heavily in sort of my sense of of chicago um, but anytime you're, you know, you're borrowing history like that, you're not, you're not really writing about an actual place so much as sort of this alternative alternative universe that you set a book in. So, you know, I draw on the sense of that. I draw on some of the facts of that. But you know, the the Hurleys aren't the Dailies per se, and uh, you know, so you you just have to you have to sort of concoct your own your own version of the lines. and I, I guess that's uh, that's what I did.
1: So we kind of figured that some of that obviously and, and Rob on the episode was uh, ready to step up and talk about Fred Hampton because he had some idea who Fred Hampton was. Oh, but. I, I didn't <laughs> So, um, but uh, we're going to assume that uh, so some of that was based on your personal experiences. We're going to assume you've never been involved in kind of like deadly black ops unless we're wrong. So, how much research went into kind of that that other that that government um, you know agency um, slant of that
2: book? Uh, well, obviously, if if I had been involved in <laughs> Deadly Black Ops, I'd now be denying that I'd ever be involved in been involved in Deadly Black Ops, which I'm doing. So, um, <laughs> I did um, I did attend a uh, military high school. Um, and had, uh, you know, limited exposure to some military folk at that time. Um, I've read a lot of, uh, military history, political history, you know, a lot of that crosses over into, uh, into black ops type stuff, but, you know, the, the sort of black ops that you're going to use in fiction is, is probably fairly divorced from the reality of it since... I suspect none of us actually know the reality of it. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of it's probably drawn more from my, um, my fictional reading uh, than anything else. I did try to make the black ops people a little less all-powerful than often pictured as being, um, because it, it seems to me nobody's got limitless resources. Um, you know even the US military doesn't have limitless resources and if you're some group that's supposed to not exist I would think your resources are probably actually more limited Um, so you know purely my own personal decision and invention I decided to have them dealing with you know manpower issues and you know their own peculiar violent sociopathic version of office politics and uh, that sort of thing.
1: I uh, I just want to commend you. I, I spent a lot of my younger years reading a lot of you know would be called I guess today men's adventure books that dealt with black ops and government agencies and stuff and you know and that can go either really really well or it can go really really poorly and I thought uh, a lot of things you just mentioned were one of the reasons why that was done so well and that's kind of why I know why you're where your inspiration for that came from.
2: Well, thank you. Uh, the the one character that I did decide to uh, invest with you know, more superhuman type powers just as kind of a joke was uh, Chen because she was the tiny Chinese woman. <laughs> um and uh and I just decided to decided to make a sort of running joke through the whole book that everyone had heard of her and, and everified of her. Mm-hmm.
0: Um Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um and Livius I know made and when we did the review made reference to the fact that like that was one of the things I think we're we're really we're validating your choices because um, that was one of the choices that you made that that made that character seem more authentic that it wasn't just like a gimmicky thing it was just like she's legitimately that disturbing
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so we talked a little bit too uh, about the cover which we really enjoy um, and if I'm, I I don't know the exact. It looks like it's kind of whacker right by the river and everything, but uh,
2: whacker in, Dearborn.
0: in Dearborn, all right. So, is that supplied by you, or or, or how did that no, come actually,
2: about? Um, you know, exhibit A uh sent me that as a cover, and it was uh, sort of mind-blowing because I'm like, holy shit, I know that intersection. That's <laughs> from Dearborn, that's the uh. uh you know, the uh, Leo Burnett building there on the left. I used to have a freelance client there. I'd been in and out of there all the time. Um, and from a, um, I, I even did a blog post when, when they first revealed the cover because the uh, Iroquois Theater fire was like a block and a half south of there. Mm-hmm. of most danger, uh, the, the most fatalities in a single structure fire in U.S. history. Uh, and then the Eastland sank, you know, pretty much on the river right there. Um, you know, so you had all this, you know, Chicago history. The wigwam where uh, Lincoln was nominated was just up the street. I mean, you had all this great Chicago history so close to that location, um, and and then it was also a location that I had personal history with. So it was, uh, you know, just a happy accident. I don't know where they got the photo or whatever, but when they were like, you know, so what do you think? I'm like, I, oh, I love it. <laughs>
0: That's interesting, too, because aren't they a British company? I thought they were a British company, like, yeah. or Angry Robot.
2: Yeah, they're um, Angry Robots, uh, Crime Imprint.
0: Yeah, that's so, it. Yeah,
2: they're, they're British people, although my uh, my editor will get very upset if you call him British because he says he's Welsh.
0: Oh, yeah, there's the whole, like, yeah. Sorry, British is very, yeah, I guess it's a more of a UK thing. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, that's so- one of those unintended insensitivities.
2: I, I told him it was, you know, it was a little much to expect that type of global sensitivity. Make, so.
0: it's funny
1: because right before Rob asked if, if they were British, I was looking up because I was like, I'm pretty sure they are, and I thought it's kind of funny because they're like, here's a picture. It's like down the street from your house. What do you think about this picture for your book? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're a whole you know ocean away, but we've got some just a few blocks from you. Yep. So um, <laughs> um, while we're discussing the cover. Um, the, the cover of the book states introducing detective john lynch um is there a plan for more stories
2: uh well at least one more um okay. i've got a two-book contract on the chicago thrillers the uh uh follow-up novel which i just sent in to stacia this last week so she'll read through it before we forward it on to the to the editor but it's called mammon um it's uh also set in chicago it's not a uh, not a sequel per se, it doesn't continue the same story, but it continues you know, a lot of the same characters and then, you know, introduces some new characters. Um, It uh, uh, it doesn't have as much in the uh, history backstory on this one, it's all more current. Um, I do have an idea for a uh, a, a third novel. Um, uh, There was a guy named Lewis who was Chicago's first black alderman? Who was murdered on the night of his reelection in early 1963? They found him handcuffed to his chair in his office and covered with cigarette burns. Um, and and I've got some uh, some ideas to pursue that. So depending on how Mammon does and and whether they sign me up for book three, I'll uh, I'll work on that one.
0: So I vaguely remember uh, when, because I went to uh, the reading that you did in Lake Forest, I think it was a Lake Forest bookstore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, eventually the question came around to, you know, other, other authors and stuff. And I think we kind of went down the writing influences road. But uh, um, I mean, you were talking, there was a, a lot of names that came up. But if you could say like um, a source of inspiration for you as far as like how you write or what got you into writing. Could you nail down some some examples?
2: Well, the, the very first book that uh, uh, sold me on the idea of books, I, I was uh, seven, going off to summer camp, and my mom insisted that I go to the library book and check out like a chapter book, you know. And I was like, "Oh, come on, please! I'm going to read while I'm at summer camp. Are you serious?" <laughs> uh, but I I got some book called Amazon Adventure. I think the author's name was Price, um, and uh, we hour after lunch every day we had to lay in your bunk. I think so the counselors could drink or something. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and I was just riveted by this book. I mean, it got to be where um, you know it was one of my favorite parts of the day. So you know that, that was the first time I was ever sort of transported by a a story, and, and so I've I've kind of been and and I, I was. I was raised in a a house that was lousy with books. You couldn't turn around without tripping over a freaking book. Um, So, you know, I I got the reading bug early. But in terms of, uh, uh, you know, influences, uh, I mean, you know, Graham Greene, I've always been a huge fan of. uh, And he has, you know, his serious novels. He has what he calls his entertainments, which were more like espionage novels. Um. But, uh, you know, I was a huge fan of his. Saul Bellow, the a Chicago guy. Um, and his his were books that I... I read a lot of them when I was in college. And I really enjoyed them, but I've been revisiting them now as an adult. And, um, you know, there's they're some things that make a lot more sense to you when you're 50 than they made when you were 18. <laughs> so, uh, One would hope, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of, like, crime fiction... Uh, Ross Thomas was uh, an early one I and mean, he's dead now and probably a lot of younger people haven't read him but uh, he was really good um, uh, oh I, I read uh, all the John McDonald books uh, way back um, James Lee Burke is you know sort of a godlike figure uh, John Sandra novels I think are consistently excellent um, so, but it's it's in terms of influence, I mean, I, I, I think it all just kind of goes into a blunder, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Shit comes out. I, 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 hope I'm past the point where I'm consciously aping anyone's style anymore.
0: Well, I was, I was talking about recently uh, be, the moment I let it slip that I do a podcast that reviews books. Everybody wants to know what book they should read, and so you know, um, I'd been getting the hey, what, what kind of modern. You know, recently written crime books should I I read and it was like so difficult for me for a long time to like think of some really good recommendations that weren't like horribly perversely weird or grotesque Um, (laughs) or just kind of you know have like more weird than you know just like a solid story like basic not basic but you know what I'm saying it's not without extraordinary elements to it Um, and so like after reading Penance it was obvious I was like this is this is such a like a hardcore just kind of crime story. It, it's perfect to, to recommend as like a as a contemporary crime thing. So, the the whole like crime writing thing you have down pretty pretty damn good.
2: Well, thank you.
1: All right. So when Rob was uh you know torturing me with the fact that I couldn't be at this reading in, <laughs> in Lake Forest, um, he had he had mentioned um, a pretty interesting story that you told, interesting to him, I guess. Um, which is interesting to me too that uh, just kind of the transition of this book going from being written to being published would you share a little bit of that with our listeners
2: um yeah I mean it's uh, well a, a lot of things are probably odd at my age um, you know your, your memory goes so things surprise you more um, you know I I, I put off, writing fiction series. I mean I've written for a living my whole life but I put off writing fiction seriously for uh, a long time for stupid reasons um, so when I wrote it um, I, I didn't know anyone or anything I wasn't on Facebook or Twitter I didn't know any other writers um, so I, I just had you know, always told myself I want to write a book and, and I finally wrote a book and, and literally went on Google and and Googled, I wrote a book, what do I do? And you know, Google said, get an agent. So I Googled, how do I get an agent? Um, and pulled up sites like Query Tracker and whatnot. And, um, so I, I did the query thing and, and I ended up signing with uh, Stacia Decker at the Donald Moss Agency uh, yeah, almost immediately. This was coming up on five years ago, I think. And so I was thinking, you know, well, this publication shit's pretty easy. Because, um, <laughs> you know, at, at that point I'd been looking online and everybody's like, oh, it's harder to get an agent than it is to get published. Mm-hmm. Which didn't make sense to me because, <laughs> you know, well, why, why would you need an agent? But, um, but, you know, then we went through the whole, you know, near misses and, and all that crap. But then, you know... It, I got the deal, and, and and now it is a little different. Uh, I do know a lot of people now. I've met a lot of people online over the last few years. Um, you know, Stacia pretty much made me uh, sign up for Twitter and Facebook, and you know, that's how I met all these people. Um, you know, so there's a, a, a community that's uh, actually tremendously supportive by, by and large. Um, and and then there's the whole aspect now of. Uh, you know, being under contract. So now you've got deadlines and um, stuff. So the, you know, it took me well, 10 years on and off to finish one book. Um, I wrote the first draft of the second book in, I think, four months. Um, and I've got um, uh, two other books uh, that are completely different. They're not, they have nothing to do with Chicago. Um, but there are also crime novels. Uh, and I believe Exhibit A is announcing the deal this week sometime. So, um, but those are uh, my... Uh, Shakespeare as an unwilling Elizabethan private dick uh, novels. Uh, so I'm writing in first person as William Shakespeare because I have just that much chutzpah. Um, and, but it, it, it is different to, to now know that... Uh, I'm actually under contract for a novel I haven't finished which is a little unnerving because um, <laughs> <laughs> they can make me give money back um, <laughs> so, uh, so it, it, it does make it more of a um, you know, a little bit more of a job but it's it's still have a hell of a lot more fun than my my day job so um I don't know. Did I say more intelligent and fascinating stuff in like Forrest? It's entirely
0: possible. Uh no, I think we're pretty on track. Um I just thought it was such a uh, you, you hear so frequently the the drudgery of like you know like and because we, we talk to plenty of authors and it's always the constant uphill struggle of finding an you know finding an agent and you know, getting published and everything. So like to hear you know, someone who hit kind of like right at the beginning. I like those kind of stories. It's like it's a little inspirational and it's just like
2: I, I yeah. hit right at the beginning, but I was fifty, you know, so <laughs> you know, it, it may have been it may have been the years of practice, I don't know. <laughs> it's
1: you know, their entire books written on how to get an agent and how to get published and there are courses you can pay to take you know to to better help you get an agent and i just again like rob said he told me that i'm like dude that's awesome he like googled it this is the answer to everything i don't know how to do something i google it and here's a guy who did it and got an agent and got published
2: yeah yeah so it's just a wonderful I, story my garbage disposal broke at home and it, you know, I looked online and it only cost you like $150 to buy a garbage disposal but the plumber, $500 to put it in. So I Googled, how do you install a garbage disposal? There's a whole video. They show you the entire damn thing. I mean, you know.
1: <laughs> hey, there you go. So Yeah. So,
2: I, I really think the problem with so many people is I can't get an agent and they think the problem is that they aren't trying to get the agent right. And The problem is they haven't really written a good book yet.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's what i was going to kind of mention next is like it's probably a testament to the quality of writing as well like somewhere in there but also i mean and and this is a conversation we've had with other people too is like just because something gets rejected from someone it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad it just means it's not right for that person so like there is a lot of subjectivity yeah Yeah.
2: there are a lot of agents and i didn't um uh, you know, a lot of the advice is, well, you know, don't, don't carpet bomb the list, only hit a couple at a time. And I'm like, why? Um, you know, I've, I've worked in marketing most of my life and, you know, the bigger the list, the more responses you get. Um, so I, I didn't send stuff out to people that didn't represent crime fiction. But if, uh, if you were an agent and you represented crime fiction and I recognized, Some of the names in your list, and they sounded like the type of stuff I wrote. You were getting a letter from me. You know, they were all going out at once. I I mean, this was direct mail. I wasn't, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, yeah, there there were an awful lot of agents that that uh, never responded to me. There were a few I heard back from, and we went back and forth a little bit, and it it didn't amount to anything. But. uh, you know, since since Stacia is on her way to becoming the supreme empress of all crime fiction everywhere, I'm, I'm glad I hooked up with her.
0: Yeah, you, you can't, yeah, yeah, you can't bad talk her track record right now. Everybody that we've talked to that's represented by Stacia is doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. I think
1: that one of the one of the advantages that, that you may have had was, and, and, and I, I, I'm going to say this, and I realize that some of our listeners are writers, and, and they're going to think this is a bad thing, but there's a really good, solid, mainstream feel to your book. And I think a lot of the people we talk to, although they are also brilliant writers, yeah, they write about stuff that's a little more obscure, and I think it's harder for an agent to pitch like the weird book, like Rob was talking earlier about, you know, there's crime yeah. books, but they're, they're kind of really extreme crime, or there's something really weird element, and quite honestly, as a writer and as an agent, anybody in that industry, the goal is to sell books and right. the more mainstream the feel it has. And I, I, I sometimes am offended for writers who write mainstream when I hear some of, and even online, you know, the, the mainstream stuff kind of gets, uh, dismissed, like, kind of like a, like when a great band sells out in quotation marks, you know, oh, okay. but I mean, I can't imagine I was reading this from having read lots of you know crime and like I said you know men's adventure you know espionage stuff younger I was like this is this is this is really good stuff I mean this is is quality stuff that's really accessible to the average person you don't have to be a hardcore crime fan to appreciate it the average person can appreciate the fact that it's a good story if it just happens to be a you know kind of like a hardcore crime story
2: so. yeah and it was my intention setting out to write a, a saleable book I mean I wasn't looking to you know um, you know, go go dwell into the you know far nether regions of violence porn. Um, you know, I I wanted to write a a solid mainstream book that you know that I thought had a chance of uh, of getting published. Um, you know, the 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 Shakespeare stuff, quite frankly, is you know way more oddball. Uh, you know, so how that'll do, I have no idea. Um, but my intention when I when I wrote the thing was, you know. Was to sell it. So, yeah, I've I've never understood the idea that if if something becomes immensely popular, it must suck. Um, (laughs) sometimes I I understand the uh, uh, I understand that impulse, and you look at reality TV and whatnot. But um, you know, sometimes things are immensely popular because they're really good. You know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah.
0: There's truth to that. Um, I like the sound of the uh, the Shakespeare thing too. Um, we were talking to, we had Fred Venturini on uh, a while back and we were just asking him kind of what he had on the horizon and he told us this story, or not the story, but he told us, he started telling us about this book he's he's got coming up or he's writing or whatever and it's about the four horsemen of the uh, of the apocalypse and one of them falls in love and he tries to stop the apocalypse and I was like, he didn't even get done with his sentence, and I was like, "I'm reading this book." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I love it when like just the concept is enough to make you think I'm reading this. So, well,
2: I, but, I, won't, I won't tell you about my concept for a uh, a vampire then, because uh, the few people I've told it to were like, "Oh, you got to write that." But, um, <laughs> that's way way down the line someplace. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out how to write a YA novel because that's evidently where all the money is.
0: Yeah, apparently. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the, 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 the thing is, I think to write a YA novel, um, you, you have to have some kind of affinity for your audience, and I didn't even like teenagers when I was a teenager, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that may be a lost cause for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, I'm sure that's going to be, a, at the very least, an obstacle.
1: Well, here's, here's the problem, I think, with, with young adult um, fiction writers, is that that crowd is very, very fickle, and what's cool can change from week to week so those of us that are older kind of set in our ways and the stuff I like today is probably going to be the stuff I like in two or three years so let's say you write a a young adult novel and and you get it past your agent and and he or or she in your case pitches it you know it still could be two years to publication it might be a great book today it may not be a great young adult novel in in a year from now because whatever's cool today is not so cool tomorrow so it's kind of a hard I think it's a very very hard um, audience to write for Um, but there's money there if you if you can hit the you know hit the nail on the head I
2: guess. Yeah, but the uh, uh, I mean I've, I've tried to read some of them and and I I don't like most of them because it, it they, they they to me they're celebrating the things that are wrong with teenagers. Um, I mean of necessity because you're trying to form your own personality you go through this obsessively narcissistic. Stage where the entire world and everything in it revolves around you, um, and, and and so you have to write a book where you're championing that mindset, and you know all I'd be wanting to do through the entire thing is bitch slap my protagonist and tell him or her to snap out of it. So yeah, I'm <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I'm probably just not cut out for the YA market. I'll just have to you know resign myself to that. <laughs> not to mention that even if i could get a book published then i'd do one interview and and the teenagers would all hear oh he thinks we're all assholes i'm like well yeah i do
1: he (laughs) just he just yelled at us to get off his lawn
2: (laughs) that's right right.
0: (laughs) oh nice (laughs) um all right so uh, switching gears a little bit uh I understand you you were the voice that record that they use for your the audiobook of penance uh, how did that go for you did you like that
2: yeah um, I've, I've done some uh, you know I, I've recorded some of my short stories and you know put them up on my blog and even done some uh, voiceover work for uh, John Horner Jacobs and Chuck Wendig and whatnot on um, a book trailer Chuck did and uh, some stuff John did Yeah. Um, I did some radio back in college. I do some podcasting in my day job. Um, and, and frankly, I like the sound of my own voice. So, uh, you know, I pushed to do that. And um, uh, Exhibit A was kind enough to sort of back me up on it. And the uh, Audio Go people who were also over in the UK, uh, you know, listened to uh, some of my stuff and, and gave me a shot to uh, to do the recording. So, yeah. Um, It's a a little different reading uh, an entire novel than doing a short story. Um, I think the thing comes out to nine hours and something, Mm. uh, which we recorded over three days. Uh, So, you know, you drink a lot of water. um, (laughs) And the recording studio was some uh, little independent joint down in Bucktown that normally does indie rock bands. They got all that foam on the walls, I guess, for sound deadening or whatever. Mm -hmm. That stuff soaks up a lot of pot smell. I haven't (laughs) smelled that much dope since I was in college. It was a little bit of a flashback there. Uh, But but I I enjoy it, so I'd I'd like to do more of it. Not the dope, the the (laughs) recording. I was going to ask if
1: you'd take that pot smell everywhere with you and you were just offended that it stuck to the walls? or
2: Oh, I (laughs) I, I don't know if I, I, I may have smelled like dope by the time I left the, uh, left the stick, <laughs> which I'm not sure.
0: Awesome.
1: All right. So where can people find, uh, more about Mr. O'Shea online?
2: Uh, they can go to, uh, you know, uh, going ballistic is my blog on WordPress. Um, I think it's danbyoshea.wordpress.com. Um, and the exhibit people have an author page with links, you know, in case you're lazy and just want to do it that way um, and then I, you know, I'm a I'm on Twitter D.B. I'm on Facebook Daniel B. O'Shea. I'm a social media whore now um, you know, five years ago I was a Luddite who'd never heard of this shit and now I'm you know, running around all over the internet with my pants on my head so
0: all right, well, Dan. Um, unless there's anything else you'd like to promote or, or mention, um, I just want to thank you for for coming on and spending some time talking to us about penance and other stuff.
2: Well, thank you guys. I've uh, I've enjoyed it. I can uh, you know pretend I'm a celebrity for a minute, and five seconds.
0: <laughs> awesome. Until
2: I until I you know walk back out in the other room and my daughter says something rude to me.
1: Once again, big thank you to Dan O'Shea, author of Penance, for joining us this evening and shedding a little bit of light on uh, on lots of things on Penance, on, on young adult novels, which I thought was just absolutely fantastic. <laughs> on William Shakespeare. Yeah, on William Shakespeare. That does sound pretty goddamn cool.
0: Yeah, that's a, yeah I thought of the Venturini thing right away because I was like, oh man, this is a story I want to read right now.
1: Yep. So, all right, guys. Venturini, O'Shea, pick up the pace. We want to read these stories. So, uh, get get it in gear, guys. Hopefully, uh, next week we're free for next week, right? Two weeks from now.
0: Yeah. Shakespeare's, yeah. If Shakespeare's, yeah, they can push that yeah, through, yeah. otherwise, they're on the hook for finding us the books to read in the meantime. That's how we're going to do it from now on.
2: <sighs>
0: you know, it's been a long time since we've struggled with books to read. So let's let's just uh, let's uh,
1: let's just be thankful. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. All right. So if you want to find out more about Dan O'Shea, it is Daniel B O'Shea at wordpress. I'm sorry. .wordpress.com. Um, uh, his blog is going ballistic and as you heard, uh, you can find him um, running around the internet with his pants on his head. So just yeah. keep an eye out for that.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe do you think he's also wearing another pair of pants on his legs or is it just the one pair? This is very unlikely. <laughs> We've experience when someone's <laughs> wearing pants on
1: their head. That's the only pair they've got. They don't
0: plan ahead with the second no. pair of pants. Yeah, that's not something. That's more of a spur of the moment. But you know
1: true. what I am going to do? I am now immediately going to throw a pair of pants in my car in case this ever happens. <laughs> I will be the guy that has a pair of pants on my head but is also wearing a pair of pants. You'll be running down the street,
0: I planned ahead. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. So normally when we do an interview episode, we don't really talk a lot about other things afterwards, right? We're pretty much like, hey, it was a great interview. Come back next time. But um,
0: today we have some news. That's right. It's been a while since we've had an announcement. But um, we do. And I think we're going to fight over who's actually doing the announcement, right? Um, I'm willing to let you do this. So, um, It's been a long time coming. Something we've been talking about for probably at least half the time we've been doing this podcast. But uh, timing and You know the planets aligning, and you know making sure that enough people had backup pants uh, before we decided to do it. Finally, we've locked down a date and a and a list of people that are willing to do a live reading with us. So, um, yeah, we're announcing on this episode that August third, two thousand thirteen, will be Books' official first ever uh, booked sponsored reading.
1: It's also, if all the stars align correctly, and we've given ourselves some lead times here, going to serve as the book release party for the Booked Anthology.
0: That's right. We've been saying soon for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, yeah, the book, as long as nothing catastrophic happens with the printer, and I'm going to knock on my microphone just for luck. Um, Oh,
1: that's really good for the listeners.
0: (laughs) That's how much I care. I'm willing to deafen them for the to preserve the luck of this. Uh, as long as nothing goes wrong at the printer, the the book should be available before August third. Um, we have kind of a tentative release date, but we're just not ready to do it until we we get a little further along in the process.
1: Basically, it looks like the book will be going um, out for a first proof printing this week,
0: within the next couple days, probably. Yeah,
1: yep. so. Um, We're not going to announce the readers yet. We want to do some last minute confirmations with people on the date, but I will say that I feel very, very confident that we will have five readers
0: um, that all are in the booked anthology. Yeah. So, Hey, that's big news, right? Our first reading is also our book release party Mm -hmm. um, in Chicago with a cast exclusively of, of readers who have, who have a story on our anthology. That's pretty big.
1: That is a very, very big deal. I, I'm very, very happy. It seems like a, a culmination of a lot of our effort um, over well over the you know two two and almost a half years we've been doing the podcast. I guess so. Uh, it's a it's a good time. It's going to be in Chicago. We will finalize a location for you guys and a time and, and, and all of that um, very very shortly within the probably the next two episodes. I would say we have a place in mind. We just got to make sure that we can uh, that it's still available. And that uh, that we can book it for that evening, and then uh, time and tease the time. It'll probably start around seven thirty. Um, <laughs> so, if you're planning on being in the Chicago area, uh, it'll be uh, again August third. Hit us up on Facebook. We'll probably invite everybody within a 200 mile radius to come to this. Um, if you live outside the 200 mile radius, I strongly suggest you move in the next week.
0: Yeah, just get it ready, or at least like yeah, plan your. Uh, if you're already planning an August vacation. Or even like a September vacation or a July vacation, just kind of like move it and yeah. make sure that it's in Chicago.
1: And I've got to tell you, there's nowhere in the world the weather is more pleasant than August in Chicago. It's, yeah, I mean, it is pretty stellar. Yeah. Um, so at any rate, we wanted to share that with you. I'm sure we'll be talking about it again, episode after episode leading up to the big event and, uh. Really, I mean, what more could we say? This episode made a great author, great interview, great announcement. It's a great episode.
0: If you say great one more time, I, I think we're gonna break the world. Skip Papersley wasn't present to, to you know just just outdo all of us. Yeah, I'm thrilled, yeah. I'm thrilled. Mm. thrilled with this episode. Mm. All right, <laughs> jealousy. It's all jealousy. He's such a bitter, jealous person. I can be a little petty sometimes, right.
1: um, but next episode, rake by scott phillips um you may have heard us talk about it, a little bit about it on our last episode come back for that probably in just a few days and
0: uh i gotta tell you i'm part way into it it's not so bad awesome all right well that's gonna do it for this interview slash gargantuan announcement episode of booked until uh next time i'm rob olson and i'm keep reading it's a long
1: shot Swing shot,
2: but she's taking steady aim at the big shot. It's hard to miss the rolling bullies on the black side. Better parking turf She's coming up from coming up, from, coming up, coming up from behind. Yes, yeah, she's coming up.